now, say now. You're tuned in to the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. I am here in the city of Portland, Oregon, at the Momentum Studios. And today we do have a special guest joining us on the podcast, but we will get to that shortly. First, let's knock out some win shares as usual. I will be back at Lulu Fridays tonight, Friday the 14th, February 4th. I mean, February. Where am I at? Two months behind. April 14th, excuse me. I will be at Lulu Bar on Southeast Southeast Grand. Pull up, have a good time. Neo Soul R&B music is what I primarily play there. It is a residency. It's been going well. Let's keep the vibes up and let's keep this thing going and rolling. Also, um, next weekend in particular, I don't have any gigs Saturday, so I'm taking Saturday night off. Next weekend, I'll obviously be back at Lulu Bar on the 21st which is next Friday, and that Saturday, the 22nd, I will be at Deeply Rooted in Northeast Portland. Deeply Rooted is a sports bar in Northeast Portland. Um, It's a spot that I DJed at for their grand opening back in December, and I will be back there. Now, it will be me playing music, but it will also be a fight party as well. Um, We will be having the Javante Davis versus Ryan Garcia fight happening there. It's a great, spacious sports bar. It has the biggest and arguably the best screen to be able to watch the fight on in the entire city of Portland amongst so many other TV screens around and throughout the bar to be able to watch the fight. I will have more details for you on that on the next episode, but if you're planning and thinking about what you want to do for this Javante Davis versus Ryan Garcia fight, Please do come pull up. I will be there. We'll have the fight first. As soon as the fight is over, I'll get to playing the tunes and the good vibes there. So, yes, again, Deeply Rooted Sports Bar. I'll be there April 22nd. Fight party. Great place to be able to watch the fight. It'll be a bunch of people there to watch it with us as well. And then we'll go right into having a good time, rocking the music, jamming out, and doing what we do. Now, today... We got us a special guest here. He has been on the show once before. He is joining us back here again to say a little bit about him. He is an assistant coach at Colorado College. He is a Pacific University alum. How about that? As I am as well. So a boxer brother indeed. He's also the older brother of the newest first round draft pick, lottery draft pick, Straight out of the Bay Area, Stanford University zone, now the Atlanta Dream Zone, Haley Jones, Cam Jones. Glad to have you here, brother. Man, I'm glad to be on, man. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely, man. Now, I want to jump straight into it. As I just mentioned, your younger sister, Haley, um, had a, a very, very great career at Stanford University. I tend to say that she's a generational talent at Stanford. Uh, Obviously, you know, one of the better players in that conference throughout her entire career. I think she got three first-team All-Pac-12s. She won a national championship, led them to a national championship, I should say, um, after 29 years being the most outstanding player at the NCAA tournament as as well on the journey to win that natty. And now a first-round draft pick for the Atlanta Dream at the sixth pick. 
But you were there. Obviously, you've been there all along for our entire life. But I want to talk more about the WNBA draft. A huge day, huge moment for her. I can only imagine it's a huge moment for the family. I saw you on, on, on TV trying to hold back those crocodile tears, man. Can you paint the picture for us of what it was like being able to witness your younger sister be able to reach the pinnacle of the dream when it comes to women's basketball by being drafted to the WNBA? Man, it was really surreal for all of us, like being in that room. Um, you know, it was a smaller room. It was kind of like in a like a multi-purpose room, kind of, you know, like a ballroom area room. So it was it was kind of crowded in there. And then just being in there, just it was pretty surreal. Just you see just like he, Haley kind of dream, dreamed this moment, you know, like getting drafted in the WNBA. And it's one of 144 players in the in the whole entire world. The 144 best players, women's basketball players in the world, and he was, she was able to be drafted six overall. It's pretty remarkable, and like being there, and I just know how much hard work she's put in to get to this moment, and I just couldn't be more prouder. And I remember telling kids, I transferred, I went to all guys school my sophomore year, high school down in Salinas, and mm-hmm. I told my friends back. Um, when she was in eighth grade, they're like, it was it was a Saturday night. No, it was like a Friday after school, and it's in December. And they're like, what are you doing tonight? I was like, I'm watching my sister play basketball. And then I said, she's really good. And they're like, no, no way. Santa Cruz, Monterey Bay, basketball, girls basketball. I said, yeah, she's really good. Trust yeah. me. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. And no one believed me at first. And then <clears> – <throat> Then the next year, she ends up going to MIDI, and obviously it's a prestigious high school, and she ends up, you know, making varsity as a freshman. That's how it hurt us. Right. And then, and then people started really believing me, and then, you know, she ended up now. Now we fast forward back then to now, you know, eight, nine years in part. Now she got drafted in the WNBA, and everyone's just so ecstatic. And man, so that that's super dope, man. What was it for you and the family that may have been – surprising or just something that you didn't expect to see, or maybe even you did expect to see it being able to actually attend the draft. As you mentioned, you've known that this could be a reality for your sister since she was younger. And you spoke to a story from her when she was in her middle school days, you all have been a part of her journey. She's very, you know, she lets that be known how the family has sort of been the rock for her and her journey to get to this particular point. So I could imagine you've all envisioned that this day would actually come but actually being in the moment and this day actually coming, could you sort of just paint the picture of, of the experience for you, the experience for her, the experience for the family? Because it's something it's a dream that so many families have that just it never comes true because this, as you mentioned, just 144 of the best players in the entire world in comparison to all the young girls basketball players and women's basketball players that have the dream to become one of those it hardly ever happens, man. What was it for you and the family just to be able to take in that particular moment itself? I mean, it was, I mean, just, I mean, first of all, like, you know, when Haley got invited after the season, uh, just got the, the, the message to get invited to draft. It was like, oh my gosh, this is real, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, you see all these, like, projections, right? But you don't actually really believe it until you really get the invite from the league. Like, hey, we want you to be at the draft. So I thought that was, like, the first thing. And then, like, for us to all get to New York City, and I think it really hit me in the morning. 
that were actually at the drafts on, on that Monday morning because, like, you know, you're there, and then you, you know, and then you know, you see all the media, you see everyone wearing their orange hoodies, and yeah. all all the all the 15 invitees at the same hotel, all the families and all that, right? Like, I think that's just it. Really hit us, hit me personally, like that morning, and then you know when you're. And then I put on my suit because I want to, you know, make sure I look nice and everyone looks nice. Hey, you a dapper, man. I got to give it to you. You pulled it <laughs> off. You, Hey, hey, I talked to you last week, Cam, and I'm like, yo, you coming correct, right? I know you putting on something fly. You did that, man, with the navy blue suit, man. I liked how you came. You were stepping. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I, I wanted to make sure, you know, like, I looked good on that night. But I just... And then, you know, everyone, get, then you, then when draft day comes around, you know, when it's an hour before, that's when the doors open. So there's, you know, a bus that transports the families. And then I'm like, and then you walk through the security. I'm like, and then you just see the signs and you're just like, oh my God, like, this is, we're really here. Yeah. Like, this is, this, it's like, let alone you get drafted, but you get invited. <laughs> like, yeah, right, uh, right. You know, so it was, I just think for the whole family, it was a memorable moment for all of us. And just like, and then we, we, and then, you know, when you get to your table and you see her name with the WNBA ball, you know, her name and where she's from and, you know, the force, and then you're sitting at those, at the the square table. And it was, you know, it it was just crazy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Oh oh my God. Now, now you kind of described the room as a smaller, more intimate, packed room. And we're always talking about ways to, like, grow the game of women's basketball, especially, you know, on the heels of what took place during the NCAA tournament this year, which we'll get more into that, especially some of the, the things that took place during the Final Four weekend in particular. But we're always talking about ways to grow the game, not in a a, a, a way of being too critical but more of like I guess a constructive way what are ways now that you've had the experience that many of us haven't by being able to attend the draft and we're always trying to figure out ways to continue to push this games forward that this game forward that is women's basketball what are ways that you think or you can imagine the draft being even bigger or even better for future draft picks to come through and be able to have this experience. And for us as fans of the game or people that cover the game or, or just casuals that are just being introduced to the game as it continues to grow, what do you think can be bigger and better about the actual product that was the WNBA draft? I mean, obviously like the drafts is like an amazing accomplishment being invited. And, for sure. You know, and, and like, so like when you walk in, like there's like these, you're at, it's, it was in Spring Studios, so South Manhattan in Tribeca area. So like you get up to the, to the sixth floor um, and then there's, when you walk in, uh, you have to go through these doors and then there's like a, there's like a hat station and a, they serve you some, some like appetizers, food. And then there's like a couple other like walls, like with WNBA draft logo stuff. And you can just with the background, you can take pictures and then you walk through another door when you, uh, when you get into the small room. And then there's another door to your right, and that's like the big auditorium, like you guys all saw. Yeah. So I think like, and then one thing they did this year, I think they had about 68 media members last year, and they expanded to like 160. So they added about about maybe 90 to 100 more media members. So, that's good. And there's a lot. I'm with that. So they added a lot more media members. 
But the one thing I was like, man, like we got five South Carolina girls drafted, four invited. Like you, I mean, like you, with with New York, and some of these schools have big fan bases. Like I would imagine, like they would all travel to the draft. You know what I mean? Mm. So people always like people are like how they get in the draft. But you're only allowed so few uh, tickets with with each family. So like each prospect got four people, um, including uh, so one plus three, so four people at, at each table. And then like agents are in the back trying to negotiate to talk to talk to teams of what's going to happen in the draft. So I just felt like it was pretty crowded in there, especially with the college coaches that couldn't sit at the table. There was enough or not. And I think there was just a lot of people in there in such a smaller space. So probably a bigger venue for the year's future. And maybe lots some fans, you know, maybe you know, grow the game, get those fans involved because there's, you know, a lot of brands. Big, bigger names coming along in this game. So, like, yeah, bring basketball, make it a special, even more special experience. I think that can even make it better. But, I mean, having it in New York City, like, it's, I mean, it's a great location, obviously. It's the Mecca. So, like, it's no, New it's, York. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's New York. People want to go to New York just to say that they're in New York, let alone, as you mentioned, maybe being a fan of women's basketball or being a fan of a university that some of these women that are invited are going to. And it's interesting you say that because I know with the NBA in particular, like you can buy tickets and packages for like the draft experience to be able to be a part and witness the draft experience. And Kathy Engelbert was just here in Portland a couple months back, I was there. I got to meet her. I got to speak with her. Kathy Engelbert being the WNBA commissioner in particular. And mm-hmm. the main thing that she talked about is essentially the revenue is what's going to be able to help to push and grow this game. Obviously, in her, here in Portland, we're pushing to see expansion within the WNBA. And a big thing for her was just being able to have the money to be able to do that and uplift that and make that happen. Well, I feel like WNBA draft packages could – be something that you could sell to bring more revenue in if you are in a bigger venue, as you mentioned. I mean, heck, I'm looking at what's going on in college right now. And obviously, you know, your sister, let's just take it to your sister and 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 the star and the celebrity that she became having the great career that she had at Stanford. I'm seeing the season ticket sales being like put to a halt at places like Iowa because you have Caitlin Clark and what she's done, who's expected it to, to get drafted in the in next season or the next year or so. Um, but you have her and you have the season ticket sales that are selling out at these universities that these women are playing at before they even get to the WNBA draft. I could easily imagine a world where those people follow these athletes, these women's uh, college basketball athletes to the actual WNBA draft to be able to support them and support what it is not only they've done at these universities, but what you want to see them do and support them in their journey to be the best women's basketball players at the biggest level, which is the WNBA. So just hearing what you're saying, like, I think that alone in itself is having an audience beyond just the family members and the few people that are able to come along with the players that are invited to be able to actually see and witness this draft and be a part of these huge moments in history. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that you can see that like women's basketball is getting so much momentum from the final four the last couple of years. And this year, you know, like, I mean, 10, 10 million people watched the national championship right. this year. And I think it's 12.6. So you can see that, you know, the game is growing. And there's a lot of momentum right now. So, I mean, 
it, 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 it was Basel's, you know, getting really popular and people really, really following it. And there's, you know, household names in the game. And I mean, there's, there's a lot to be excited about coming up with women's basketball. Absolutely. For sure. Um, I do want to ask you this though, um, because your sister's in the WNBA now, man. And I know you, you're big bro. And to you, Haley Jones's little sis first before anything. And you could be a little bit protective, a little sis, as any big brother would. It's not uncommon. You come from a close, tight-knit family, and anybody, you know, I'm, I'm the youngest of my siblings. So I don't know what it's like to be protective of the younger sibling, but I know what it's like to have protective older siblings, right? For you in particular, though, Cam, I, I want to ask you this. As you continue to see your sister's star grow, you see her celebrity grow. You see her have the platforms. I'm not even just going to say the platform as what, based on what she's doing on the court as a basketball player, but she's obviously um, done things in the NILs, in the NIL, being one of the first players or being a part of the first class of Nike's NIL class. She's uh, she's a journalist. She's got her show on Players Tribune. She has all of these sort of like groundbreaking platforms. And as a big brother, continuing to see your sister's star grow. How do you handle that as the protective big bro? <laughs> like, like how do you kind of handle and navigate her stardom and her growth, but also, you know, the position that you already hold as the big brother? You know, I, I'm just always proud of her because, you know, this is her, this is her journey and this is her story. So like, I'm just, you know, part of the ride. You know, she's 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 so smart and like yeah. she knows what what to do, what situations, you know, like with NIL. She wants she has a, like she always talks about like with her NIL deals, like she wants to make sure it's the right deal. She's not just, you know, grabbing something to grab something, right? So something that she's gonna use, something that's gonna be meaningful to her. But yeah, I mean I, I just want her to make sure that she's she loves what she's doing and I just want her to be happy all the time. That's that's all I want as a brother. absolutely, absolutely. Now I, I obviously, as you acknowledge with the NL, NIL stuff, you, your sister has been cutting edge in this women's basketball space, um, not only through NIL, but again, also being a journalist um, at, while actively playing. We see guys like Draymond Green in the NBA and CJ McCollum in the NBA that are doing this as well at that particular level. But also you have your sister now entering a league that is the WNBA which many people that have kind of followed this sort of intersection of sports and politics always give props to not only women's sports, but in particular the WNBA for always and often being willing to step out front first in the most efficient and courageous ways when it comes to these social issues in particular. And then you look at a situation that happened last weekend um, during the Final Four, obviously, um, you know, Caitlin Clark, who had a heck of a performance um, that entire weekend, but ultimately Angel Reese, who, be, who came away as the champion, who also came away as the most outstanding player of the year, which is something your sister can identify with as well, being a black woman winning the national championship and being the most outstanding player in the tournament. Angel Reese also is a player who 
has the most NIL deals. So she's cutting edge in her own way in regards to the NIL and the way that she's been able to go about it in the earlier stage of NIL just being a thing at the collegiate level. When you saw everything that happened and took place last week, in particular when it came to the criticism for Angel Reese, and again, being a big brother of a young sister who can identify with Angel Reese in so many ways, having won the title, being the MOP, uh, and beyond, how was it for you in that moment to be able to see sort of the reckoning, if you will, that took place following the national championship game, but started as early as the final four game, you know, with, with South Carolina and Don Staley coming out and doing a presser as well. Like, did it hit a nerve for you? Did it trigger you a bit to see some of the treatment that we saw Angel Reese get and some of the treatment that Don Staley alluded to that her players were receiving as well? For sure. But, um, you know, like when it comes to like all this stuff going on, like, I think if you follow women's basketball, you really understand like what these players are and like what, what they represent. But I think mm. with the final four in particular, you've got this new fan base that have never seen Don Staley, Angel Reese, South Carolina, LSU, Iowa, and um, Virginia tech. Like none of these teams they've ever seen before. So you have a brand new fan base and then they already go to pre, their first preconceived notions that this some so, so that like these things are certain ways, right? Right. So I think there's like a, also like another thing of like these people that never fall women's basketball are like hopping on and, and like saying things that are just not true. But like they've never watched these players before. They've never seen how they play, how they've done this all year. Like Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese, like those players. They've been do, playing the same kind of game. They're, that's how they got to this moment for yeah. three, four years. So I just think it was part of, partly just a new fan base, a new group of fans getting into the game that have never seen it. So, like, if you really follow in basketball, you understand what these pe- players and people are all, or these coaches are, and these teams are all about. So I think it's just a little bit of just a little bit of everything, just but mostly like a new fan base of like but it was amazing but also there's some that are just like already thinking what 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 it should have been or what it can't be whatever so yeah yeah for sure no I like like it's interesting you say that because um that's sort of what I alluded to last week and that's just something that I think is the case often in this country anytime that anything revolutionary is happening in these in this country in particular racist racial tensions tend to surfing, uh, surface, excuse me, oftentimes that you see that happening. And again, I think with women's basketball in particular, you had not only revolutionary players and coaches that participated in the Final Four. Again, obviously, Caitlin Clark's a revolutionary player in her own right. Angel Reese, as I mentioned, obviously on the court being a double-double machine and All-American and also off the court being somebody with the most NIL deals. South Carolina, who has basically become a dynasty at this level with a black woman at the helm as their head coach and players like Aaliyah Boston, excuse me, and players of the like. So you have this sort of revolutionary moment I believe in women's basketball and now let's take it to the WNBA because 
Last season, I think, was a great season. There was a lot of, like, record-breaking numbers in regards to attendance and, and viewership with the WNBA playoffs. I think this was probably the most dramatic offseason that we've seen with the WNBA in particular as well, with all the movement around of these big-time marquee star players in the WNBA. And then you have on the heels of that, obviously, this NCAA tournament happening. I'm expecting to see kind of a wild season this year in the WNBA and to know that your sister now drafted for the Atlanta dream is going to be a part of that. Like, are you, are you bracing for it, man? Are you excited for it? Are you nervous for it? Like how you feeling? Because it's super dope. We're in a super dope time in women's basketball right now. And your sister is like right in the thick of it, doing great things on and off the floor. Yeah, for sure. I mean, WNBA, you can see the league's growing. I mean, uh, Monday's draft was the, highest viewed draft in since 2004 so mm. 19 years so you can see there's a lot of momentum with these young women and they've earned it all too but yeah how much work that they're trying to grow the game and then but they're but it's a great product like these good women are putting it out there like it's so fun to watch um but yeah i mean um it's just obviously a super team in las vegas and in new york because with the new cba and you know players are really trying to you know force trades and stuff so it's kind of changing into like nba in a sense of like the players are really empowered with their player empowerment trying to force trades or try to team up with their friends now especially with the salary cap right uh so yeah i mean mean, you could definitely see you know vegas and um new york made some moves for sure and then some teams are trying to keep their young cores growing and uh then there's obviously veteran teams like uh, like the Washington and there's other teams that have lost some players, you know, and now they're trying to revamp and try to go a different direction. So it was interesting to see just at the draft and you can see what moves are trying to be made, right? Like Dallas is what pick three, four, and five, and they had to trade four, four. So like you can see, like they're trying to, you know, make the moves that are best fit for their team. And then, uh, you know, Atlanta, it's a good, it's a nice fit for Haley and, and they seem really happy that they that they picked her, which is so exciting. Uh, and they got a really young core with a brand new ownership and uh, and the second year head coach. So it's it, I mean it's it's every every team's at different spots, but it's all going to be exciting. It's going to become become a very competitive uh, season this year. And yeah, I mean it's it's going to be competitive for sure. So. Uh, elaborate a little bit more on Atlanta picking your sister in particular because. I feel like just based on, you know, from the seat that I have, I communicate with you damn near daily. Um, I I follow your sister. I've been following her journey. I'm obviously seeing what she's doing on the floor, seeing what she's doing off the floor. You know it. You know it tugs at my heartstrings to see her being a journalist because I'm a journalist myself. So I I love following what she's doing with the Players' Tribune. And I know she went to school for that at Stanford as well, which is no slouch of a degree, as we all know, coming from Stanford. But what are you? What are your thoughts about her going to that market in particular? You spoke to some of it on the floor, her being able to be a part of this young core in Atlanta. But again, with some of the cutting edge things that she's been able to do off the floor, Atlanta seems like a a pretty good fit to me, man. For sure. I mean, it's you know really like the hub of, hub of the South of of, of the uh, of the uh, United States. Really like a big hub for the South, and uh, there's a lot of opportunity there outside of you know when it comes to the off season. 
Um, and then, you know, what's exciting about it is, you know, this is new ownership and they're trying to bring a lot of energy. When they just uh, went into a new arena down in uh, College Park called the Gateway Center, and they fill it up every night. Well, it sits about like 3,000, 3,500 people a night and try, try to fill it up and try to bring some energy to the city. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of exciting parts about being in Atlanta. And, then, you know, uh, we have so much family in in the state of Georgia. So my mom being from born in the state of Georgia, yeah. down, right. down Savannah area. So I think it's exciting for Haley to, you know, be part of a team that – was super excited to draft her. Like I, I get goosebumps every time. Like I look at that video when uh, their GM put the uh, call and put Nate Haley's name and how excited they were. It's just so exciting. And you know now you have all the Georgia family that haven't. I've watched all of our games late at night, 11 p.m. Eastern time, staying up watching Stanford games. And now they can actually see her play in person. Beat now she's actually in, in in the East Coast and in the South and. Yeah, it's it's beyond exciting for everybody. So it, it's going to be a good experience. And Tanisha Wright is the head coach, and she's played in the she's a long time player in the league and played 13, 14 years in the league. And there's a lot of people that's been, that's that's been played in the league. Like Renee Montgomery's a legend. Like she played in the league and was a legend at UConn, and she's on the part of the ownership. So like, yeah, I think she's just around a lot of women that just know the game, know the league. And really, and it's it's super exciting, and then you know being around young courts with you know drafting with Leticia and Leah Brown and Alicia Gray traded for Ryan Howard, Ari McDonald, Asia Durr, Ad Durr, Nas Holman. It's a really exciting young team. I'm happy that she, you know Atlanta's super stacked to pick her, and she's part of it. Hey man, you you mentioned Tanisha Wright in particular, man. You could have helped little sis out, maybe, man, and answered the phone when Tanisha called and sis left her phone at the draft table. You were sitting at the table, Cam. Oh, man. <laughs> I saw the clip, I saw the tweets, I saw I saw it all, Cam. Sis had to go on stage and do her thing. She left the phone at the table. You couldn't have helped her out and answered it for coach. <laughs> man, I, I mean, they had us on camera the whole time. Be like, I mean, the camera's on us. I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying the moment. Everyone's enjoying the moment. I mean, I, first of all, I, th- I mean, I thought she had her phone. <laughs> I mean, I, I you didn't even recognize the phone was ringing right in front of you. <laughs> no, and, and then I go on Twitter and, she, and then she tweets at Haley, and I'm like, "Excuse me." Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, "Dog, I hey, I've been waiting for this moment to call you out for that." I'm like, "Wait a minute." She left her phone at the table, which is fair, totally fair. You're going up to get drafted, you leave your phone there, which may not be common in today's age, but I, I get it. I would get why one would leave their phone in that moment. But damn, Cam, you were supposed to have her backup, Cam. <laughs> Come on, big bro. <laughs> I would have had, I, honestly, I would have had no idea. I, I would have yeah. assumed she would have had her phone with her. <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah. I'm just giving you a hard time about it, man. But it was, it was pretty funny to see that, like, you got to answer coach's call, Haley. <laughs> as long as she doesn't do that, as long as she doesn't do that during the game when coach is calling her number to go in the game, make sure you make sure you're there, you're present, and make sure you put your phone away then. Cam, what's going on with you, man? You you had a, a year at Colorado College this season that was a successful one. Um, talk about it a little bit, man. You're an assistant coach there. Talk about what you and your team were able to do this year. Y'all had a solid season. 
Oh, for sure. Um, so, yeah, we just finished our second year at CC. Um, we got a really young team. So last year we had 14 of our 18 players were freshmen and sophomores. And um, so we were really young, but we we're really talented. So uh, the year my first year on the staff, it was my head coach's second year, but really first full year with COVID. So like we went seven and 18 uh, last two years ago. And then this past season, uh, we made our first conference playoffs since 2018. Mm. Uh, we, uh, I think we won our most home games in seven years and we had our best record in six years. So we, we took big, uh, we, we took big strides this year, uh, moving forward in the right direction. Uh, we, 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 uh, we were 12 and 14. We finished fourth in the conference. So, uh, we top six out of nine in the, in the SCAC was called the Southern Collegiate Athletic Conference. So yeah. we're in conference down there. Uh, we're really isolated in Colorado for Division Three purposes, so we have to fly down to San Antonio, Dallas, Austin, uh, Houston for conference games, and uh, we finished fourth, and that was one of our best finishes in the conference in a long, long time. But we had, we had so we tasted the conference tournament uh, for the first time in like, five years as a program, and went down to Trinity on San Antonio. We were the four seed, played the five seed in the semifinal, the quarterfinals. We called a school called Shriner. We lost a tough, tough shot. The kid was, uh, it was a tie game with four, uh, like 11 seconds left. The ball, we kind of, we felt like we got to stop. The kid catches, gets the ball on the left, uh, left far corner on the floor, gets it, dribbles it. The shot clock's running out, so there's like 11 seconds of the clock, uh, seven seconds on the shot clock, and throws up a running, going to his right, goes through the middle of the floor, shoots a right hand, cream sky hook. Wow! They're really shy, and they and then we uh drop a play. We get a pretty good look and miss it. Um, but yeah, and then the Shriner end up winning the conference tournament, making a magical run as a five seed. And they won three games by combined five points. So uh, you just tell you can just tell by that we're right there that we're we're right there we're on our way. So um, we got a really talented team moving forward, and we had a Denari Boykin. He was our Freshman of the year this year in the conference, newcomer year, freshman year, and first team as a freshman. And he's really talented and got a really talented group. And we got 44 players on our team that uh, were uh, recognized by the SCAC this year. So we got a really uh, talented young crew that just needs to continue to grow and keep on believing. So we just, I think it's just the beginning of this group and they're not satisfied. Like, you know, this year we lost the first round. Like they want to win and they yeah. want to win badly. So, you know, winning the conference tournament and having an expectation that we're going to win the league next year is going to be really important for this young set with this young squad. So and we got some exciting players coming in. So it's, it's, it's a good time to be a college basketball fan. Yeah. Yeah. Super dope. Super dope. What's your thoughts about the plan? What's going on on the plan so far? And, Give me some of your project predictions, man. Who do you think will win the title this year? Who you think's coming out of the East? Who you think's coming out of the West? MVP. I want it all. I want all your your NBA takes. Uh, oof. Uh, man. I, first of all, yesterday I got to give a shout out to Demar Derozan's daughter. She's the MVP. Yeah, she in is. Toronto. She yeah, she is. I got it done. <laughs> she got it done. <laughs> I mean, they but, was missing free throws left and right because of her screaming down there on that the front row. Wrist. Yeah, like, on the hey, baseline. And then DeMar's like, hey, now, she got to go back to school. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, uh, he's still got to be a dad out here. <laughs> 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 but, 
So yeah, uh, so in the seven eight East game, uh, Hawks went on the road to beat the Heat, which is pretty impressive, and they dominated on the glass. It was impressive how uh, Clint Capella and John Collins were just crashing his glass. And I felt like watching Atlanta this year, I didn't really see that a ton all year, but they really showed out that day. And they made that coaching move with get Quinn Snyder, and yeah. it looks like you know he really has made an impact on that on that team. Um, and then the Lakers and the Timberwolves is absolutely wild. Like, I mean, what a nasty game. That was just wild. Like they were <laughs> down and coming back. And then, you know, LeBron just makes the right decision. Like, I don't right. know why people are always like, you know, we didn't take the shot, but I'm like, well, I mean, if you got two guys on you and you got a wide open guy at the corner, like, you have to make the basketball decision. Right. So, For sure. I mean, and he's always been that so, way. He's always been that way. Um, and then Toronto losing to my uh, Toronto losing to Chicago, I guess, in the 9 10. Then Oklahoma City beating New Orleans on the road. Um, I thought that was important. I thought that was good to see Oklahoma City win. I'm a huge Shea Gilgis Alexander fan. Yeah, I thought they had a lot of really, really good young talent on that roster. Shoot, next year, if the Chet Holmgren comes back healthy, you never know. And then they, never and then know. they have some picks. You never know. So um, I, I'll but. be honest with you. I like as good as Brandon Ingram is, as good as he is, even, you know, obviously had a bad performance yesterday, did CJ McCullum, but I've, I've lived in Portland. I've had the fortune to be able to see CJ McCullum be elite, absolutely mm-hmm. elite coming into yeah. that game. As I'm looking and I don't really, you know, I don't have a dog in the fight. To me, I wanted to see SGA win that game because I want to see him in the playoffs. And the reason I wanted to see him in the playoffs, even over that of the Pelicans, especially being that Zion did not play, I want to make sure to to preface what I'm about to say with that. To me, coming into that game, I want to see the best players go the furthest. And SGA was the best player on the floor coming into that game. To me, as good as Brandon Ingram is, as good as C.J. McCollum is, and I know he's a veteran and SGA is young, but SGA is the youngest player to average 30 points per game. Like, I want to see that kid in the postseason, not just the play-in, but the playoffs. I want to see him in a seven-game series and see the kind of threat he can pose to one of these, you know, higher-seeded team teams, obviously, in particular, if he is able to get in and they get past Minnesota on the road tomorrow night or tonight, if we're going based on when we're recording this podcast and when it'll be released. Um, I want to see him beat Minnesota because I think he's better than everybody on that team, too, Carl Anthony Towns included. I think that SGA is the best player I mean, based on who he had to go against and who he'll have to play tomorrow of anybody on either of those teams. So I want to see him actually get in and see what he can do in a playoff scenario. He's so dang good and he's so impressive to watch. And I want to see the best players playing in the biggest moments, quite frankly. Right. And well, I mean, he's so good at the mid range. But one thing uh, the announcers were talking about last night is how much more he's getting to the free throw line. Yeah. And how much he's trying to get, get, get to the rim and, they trying to make plays. And, I mean, and they, they it's OKC plays hard too. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, they got some really young players that you, you like most player people never heard of. But I mean, Josh Giddy's a really good, like, I, I'm a big fan. He's yeah, a like, he can ball. You got it's a threat that he can get triple double at any night. Yeah, um, for sure. And uh, I mean, Isaiah Joe is like one of the best two points you in the league. The first time I really saw OKC was uh, when they played the Lakers and LeBron passed. 
um, Kareem yeah, on that yeah, yeah. night. Right. I was like, I was like, these guys can't miss. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> they, they, they're they, trying to watch LeBron, but I'm I'm watching OKC. Like these guys can't miss. Yeah, you're not wrong. You are not wrong. Yeah, man. And like I said, I want to see him in the postseason because I feel like he's yeah. some. I feel like he has sort of a. And obviously, you know, recently the Blazers haven't been so great, but he's kind of got like a Damian Lillard type trajectory. I'm not saying that they're the same player, but what I'm saying is Dame became a guy who went to what eight straight playoff appearances that we got accustomed to seeing in the playoffs and making some real noise with the Blazers organization. And I think Shea is is a guy who's going to be able to be that type of a presence in the postseason. Again, obviously, if they're able to keep it all together and, you know, everything falls into place, how 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 the potential so that it could with them having a young core, you know, with, with them, you know, being able to – you got more draft picks coming up, as you mentioned. Um, I – I want to see what they can grow to become, but him in particular, I feel like he's a guy that's going to be hard to knock out because he's so dang good at basketball. And again, I had Jules Boykoff on a podcast a couple weeks ago and we started talking NBA and I talked about he, he's a Milwaukee Bucks fan. And I talked about, you know, last year in the postseason in particular, I never had a worry for the Warriors, as good as the Celtics were last year, as the size they have, that being the number one defense in the league, I never really was worried about the Warriors losing that series because I always felt that the Warriors still had the best player on the floor. Now, had they had to place off against somebody like the Bucks, I might question that because the Bucks have a guy named Giannis over there who – you can argue is the best player on the floor whenever he steps on the floor. But I was more confident in the ble- in the Warriors actually having to play against the Celtics than I would have been had they had to play against the Bucks because I'm not 100% sure in that case, or I'm not as confident, I should say, in that case that Steph Curry is going to be the best player on the floor. And again, I feel that way with Shea. I feel like every time he steps on the floor, he has a legitimate chance of being the best player out there and that's a hurdle that you got to get over if you're anybody playing against a guy who's that good. Oh, for sure. I mean, he's he's talented, but like uh, I don't know, it's going to be a close game with Memphis, you know, with uh, Minnesota and yeah. uh, Oklahoma City. But I mean, in o- it's in Minnesota. Both of them have to you know catch a plane to get to Minnesota because Minnesota's coming from LA. Gobert's back. Yeah, uh, that makes a difference. Happened, right? Uh, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. Uh, who you got coming out of the East this year, and who do you got coming out of the West? And winning it, ultimately. Man, um, shoot. I mean, I, I think the Celtics, uh, they've been good all year, and the Bucks have been good all year. Um, but, I mean, I'm just looking at I think the I think the Celtics get back to the finals. Uh, mm. I mean, I, sure. uh, I think – um, I think I, I could see a Milwaukee um, Celtics conference finals, and that'd be a classic. So, but I mean, I, I think because I think they'll get past Atlanta, and then I think seventy uh, six Philly will get past Brooklyn, and then I think uh, Boston can get past Philly, and then I think I mean the Milwaukee and Boston thing. I think that thing goes seven. Yeah. And, and so, but. I, I think mean, Jason, Jason. Jason has been a front runner for MVP all year. Jalen yeah. Brown's been fantastic. Um, yeah, I might. I think I'm gonna roll with the Celtics. In the West, I mean, 
I'm a Warc, I'm a Warriors fan until I die, right? So right. like uh, cheer on the Warriors. And it's gonna be exciting for Northern California to get the Warriors and the Kings. Yes. But man, I mean Phoenix looks so good. Man. <laughs> I mean Phoenix is healthy, like you can't I mean, if they're healthy, like it's gonna be hard to beat them. I mean, Kevin Durant, J- Devin Booker, Yadra Aiden, and Chris Paul. <laughs> like, I want to say this. I want to say this. It's hard for me to disagree with you, man. But it's hard for me to disagree with you. But I went to the Blazers versus Warriors game the other day. Last game of the season. I was there. And although the Warriors were playing against the Blazers JV team, and I want to be clear, I'm calling them the Blazers JV team not as a shot for the players who were actually available to be out there and play. I'm calling them that as more of a dig and a shot at the Blazers front office that has put an incompetent roster together for one this season around Damian Lillard. And we see him and we've seen him in the news all week long talking about and discussing that, but also it's more of a shot at the Blazers as an organization because they are one of only two teams that does not have a G league team. So to expect these guys that are at the bottom of the depth chart and the bottom of the roster in particular, and aren't rotation guys, they haven't played meaningful basketball in quite a while because it's not like they have the option to play for a Blazers G league team and, and kind of have more of like the two way contracts, if you will, to be able to come out there and not get absolutely blasted off the floor the way they did by Golden State. I mean, score 55 points in the first quarter, the most we've ever seen in the first quarter, 157 points in a game. So, again, I'm not knocking the players that were on the floor. I'm knocking the organization for not preparing the players that were on the floor. And what we got was what we got in those results. But I'm going to tell you, I know we've been shitty on the road, but uh, and I know we were playing against the JV team. I think I think we flipped that playoff switch on though, man. I think we flipped yeah. it on. And here's where and here's where things get tricky. I think the key for us is Andrew Wiggins. With yeah. a healthy Andrew Wiggins and with the depth that we have, it's hard for me to see anybody beating the Warriors. I know top heavy wise is Phoenix all the way, but you're talking about a Kevin Durant who ain't getting no younger and who has who has had his fair share of injury. We're talking about a Chris Paul who also ain't getting no younger, has had his fair share of injury, and a Chris Paul who ain't been able to see Steph Curry for about a decade now. You don't <laughs> you don't have bridges over there who you would probably put on to guard somebody of the likes of Steph Curry. And although you have Kevin uh, Kevin Durant with his greatness, I think Andrew Wiggins is so key because Andrew Wiggins can pose as a threat to Kevin Durant. He obviously ain't better, but he's somebody who's long enough to defend Kevin Durant better than most, long enough, athletic enough, and quite frankly, just skilled enough to guard Kevin Durant better than most in the league, although virtually nobody can really guard Kevin Durant. But also he can make Kevin Durant work on the other end of the floor if Kevin Durant is is guarding him because Andrew Wiggins can score the basketball. He can create his own shot. He can finish well. He's good in transition, all the things. I think the depth of the Warriors, and I I was one when the trade initially happened that was like, 
Phoenix has got to be the favorites now. But after watching that game and being able to see them in person the other day, seeing Kaminga and what he's growing to be defensively, knowing that they got Gary Payton the second back, they have three or four guys that you could legitimately put on the best player on opposing teams, which totally frees up Stephen Clay and even Jordan Poole to be able to go out there and score the basketball and not have to take on the biggest roles on the defensive end of the floor. Just be solid, essentially, and and give some effort on that side of the floor. I I don't see a team in the West that can take the Warriors out in seven games, even with how up and down of a season they've had, even with what they've been on the road. When I got to really get a dose of that depth, now that GP2 is back, now that Kaminga has had to sort of step up and become that primary defender and and has gotten his reps being that GP2 was gone for a while and that Andrew Wiggins has been hurt and he's been out for a while as well, I think that's going to help the the Warriors tremendously with J.K. stepping up and having – been able to get the reps with GP2 just not being there for half over half the season and Andrew Wiggins being out for a good portion of it. I think the Warriors' depth is going to really come through in this postseason, man. I really do. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love my, the Warriors, and I think the depth, but, you know, Wiggins hasn't, been, hasn't played in a while. And, you know, and I want to say, you know, what road what records hasn't been is pretty bad this year. It was bad. It. Oh, it was but atrocious. It was atrocious. 30, so. But I think one thing is going to help the Warriors being in Sacramento is that we're so close to home. Like we're yeah. we're going to fill up. Dubs are going to really fill up Sacramento. I mean, and Sacramento's got a good fan base, especially when they're rolling. So yeah, I think not traveling far in the first round series is going to really help the Warriors. Hey, and potentially not having to travel too far in a second round series if the Lakers can figure out a way to knock off Memphis. Oh, that's going to be interesting now. That's, that's going to be interesting. That's going to be interesting. I mean, honestly, watching the Lakers, they were atrocious to start to hear, but them making that move and adding some defenders and depth has really helped that team. I'm not a Lakers fan to any stretch of the means, but they look they look good. I mean, they're a little up and down sometimes, but they can absolutely beat the Memphis Grizzlies. I mean, especially their role. And then – I think the thing that's going to scare the Grizzlies is having no Stephen Adams in this series. Yeah, put another sure. big on Anthony Davis. Um, so I mean, Jaron is LeBron. really going to have to be him in this series for the Grizzlies, right? Because Jackson's traditionally gotten foul, foul trouble a lot for uh, Memphis. Yeah, and then, uh, right. And then you know, give me Shannon Sharp, Dylan Brooks a couple times. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'll got, take got, it. Got, I mean, Shannon got to travel to Memphis. Hey, yeah, I, mean, I would love to see that. <laughs> I would love to see that, man. I would love to see that. Oh, man. But, yeah, that's going to be fun. Uh, Clippers, Suns. But, yeah, I mean, I'm going to say conference finals is Suns and Warriors because I think a, a Warriors-Lakers is going to meet. I think the Lakers are going to beat the Grizzlies. At six. Okay. I think the Dubs are going to beat the um, Kings in six. Okay. Um, I guess I can see the Kings win game one because it comes with energy. I can see the Warriors being like, okay, let's let's go. Yeah, right. But right. Uh, but I can see a Suns Warriors conference finals. I mean, but I'm not. I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. We got a long way to go, but I mean, but you can't sleep on Denver. I mean, I, I live in Colorado, and yeah. What's the energy around them out there right now, man? Oh, there's there's a, there's some good energy for them, especially they're the one seed. Um, but 
I mean, I went to the game, game, I went to game four last year, the first round, Nuggets Gubs at, at the ball arena, and the like, energy in there is so fun. I mean, yeah. they bring it, those fans. I mean, Denver sports fans are really loyal when it comes to yeah, the Broncos, the Rockies. I can't and, stand uh, them because I can't stand them, especially those Broncos, but they, they get after uh, it. Yeah. They, I'm a Raider fan, they do, Cam. They, they show out. They show out for yeah. sure. So, and there's there's a big there's some energy in that arena for sure. So I think they're excited, and then especially for them having uh, Jamal Murray and Michael Porter healthy. Um, I mean, I think I think they feel good about their, their chances. But them against the Suns is gonna be interesting. So um, you can't keep you can't count the Nuggets. I mean, Jokic is like an MVP all year long, and Jamal Murray when he's healthy, he's arguably one one of the top five to six point guards in the league when he's healthy. So. Yeah. Yeah. Who you think's the MVP? If you had a vote. Oh, man. Uh, ooh. I mean, between, it's probably between Giannis, Jokic, and Embiid. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jokic has gone back to back, but who knows how these writers do it, right? Because if you, if you say Jokic is three in a row, then you got to put him up to the Mount Rushmore, right? And Jokic yeah. hasn't had the – Proposing success as a yet, so I feel like writers he might deserve it, but writers are probably like I don't want to give him yet because they're gonna be like postseason success. He hasn't had that. Giannis is just so dominant, and I feel, feel like people are so numb to his success. So I just feel like they don't want to give him a third either. Uh, but NB with that fifty point game, uh, let's take the third, fourth to last game of the season. Yeah, I think that kind of did it for me. So I'm gonna say NB. But Embiid hasn't had some postseason success either. So yeah. uh, I mean, Giannis has had MVP, but I mean, I mean, Embiid hasn't made past second round yet. So and I mean, see, I think Embiid deserved it this year. I really do. I think so as well. I think he deserved it as well. And see, I I try to stay away from like the postseason argument in particular when it comes to winning that award because it's not a postseason award it's a regular season award and so I and I try not to be biased and say well hey if the guy wins it three times in a row and he deserved to win it three times in a row it's not his fault (laughs) you know what I'm saying but with that said where I will say with Embiid in particular the reason why that I will give it into give it to Embiid for one, you obviously mentioned that that fifty point performance. I know some people tried to say he was ducking the smoke the last time Embiid and Joker was supposed to meet, but the time that they did meet and they were both on the floor together, Embiid dropped forty six in that game. Um, and I also just think like the way beyond the postseason success, but the way Embiid has been sort of steadfast and keeping that team as one of the more elite teams in the Eastern Conference amongst everything that they went through. Because, see, part of the reason why I think you give Joker some of those awards, especially last season, was he was doing what he was doing without the likes of Jamal Murray, without the likes of Michael Porter Jr. Then you look at Embiid, he brings he gets James Harden over there, you deal with the, the debacle that was Ben Simmons, and I feel like we've always felt that that team has always had a chance. It's always had a higher seed, a seed that would give you home court advantage in the postseason. That's based off regular season success. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Like so, so, yeah. so with this being a regular season award and seeing him again elevate this team to a point where he's got James Harden looking 
like a guy again. You know what I'm saying? Like we we were really wondering, okay, James Harden, what is he gonna look like? I credit a lot of James Harden's success success to Joel Embiid and him not wavering as a leader and as a guy who's setting the example for excellence, which is ultimately what he wants to achieve and what he does want his team to have eventually, especially when it comes to the postseason. But I gotta give it to Embiid not only for his play on the floor, but I think Embiid's leadership has been underrated a bit because he has played so well and we're just looking about at how well he played that organization should have crumbled by now with all that it's gone through similar to how we saw the Brooklyn Nets crumble and, and Joel and Ble- Joel and Bede flat out has not let it <laughs> yeah he, he hasn't let it and also, yeah and he's saying about him like now it's, he's been playing a lot of games because yeah i think early career he wasn't playing because he's dealing with a lot of injuries right sometimes you just got unlucky with those but he's been healthy he's been you know producing on a nightly basis and keeping that team team together because there was a lot going on last year with ben Simmons. yeah i mean there was a lot and so then, and then, like, the ascension of Tyrese Maxey and um, D'Anthony Mellon's been good for them. And, like, James Harden's really being a good, really good distributor this year. Yeah. Because if you if you tell James, like, if, if, you, if you tell if James, like, hey, man, if I average 20 and 10 and winning, like, everything's great. Right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to be tough out. But I do agree. Like, like I said, like, I think the Celtics are going to get them. And it's going to be a really close series, but I think it's going to be close. But I think something's going to get I think it's going to be Bucks warriors and uh, the bias in me is going to say the Warriors. But, damn it, I'm nervous to say that. Again, I'm more nervous of, of having to go up against the Bucks in the finals than I am the Celtics. And I think this time around – the Bucs are going to put it together, especially if they can have Middleton out there available. I thought the Bucs would have beat him last year with Middleton. They still took him to seven without him. But I think Middleton has not been available so much now for the Bucs that Drew has stepped up in ways that he's finally accustomed to having to with Middleton not being there, that if they end up in that predicament again, I think they're more prepared to be able to handle that. And if they don't end up in that predicament and Middleton is available, that's the firepower and ammunition that you were missing to get you over the hump a season ago. So I think this year is the Bucks' year to get out of the East, man. And whew, it's going to yeah. be tough for whoever got to deal with them <laughs> going to that I mean, finals. I mean, I mean, if, with how exciting these playing games have been, I mean, I think this is going to be so exciting. It's just going to be really exciting playoffs because, like, there's so, so many great teams in low seeds this year. Yeah. Like, there, there's a lot that can happen. So, um, it, it's so exciting to see, you know, the playoffs and the excitement of the playing. And now, I mean, Saturday, I can't wait for Saturday's uh, first round game to get going game one. So, it's going to be so much fun to watch. It'll be up. It'll be up for sure. Well, Cam, appreciate you joining, man. Again, congratulations to Sis. Congratulations to the family. You know, it's been a long time coming to be able to reach the pinnacle, which is seeing her, you know, as as her support system, be able to get drafted to the W, man. It's a big deal. Um, and y'all should be so, so proud. And again, appreciate you for joining me here on the pod, bro. And I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. And uh, man, I'm just, you know, so so excited and happy for my sister. She's earned everything her way, and she's done it, you know, in, in a very humble way and about herself, and carries herself, you know, 
with such pride and you know she's still the same kid little girl growing up from Santa Cruz and now she is in the WNBA she hasn't changed one bit and that's what makes her so special absolutely man on that note we are going to leave y'all the only way that we know how and that is to stay woke and go win (laughs) 